You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it. With tales from all over the nation, come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Well, hey, Murph. How's it going? Hey, how are you, AP? I'm fantastic. I'm podcasting, quote unquote, live from the bar at Ragbri headquarters. Oh, do you have a tasty beverage in front of you? I have a Diet Coke. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, but yeah, it's tasty. That's tasty as well. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. So, hey, have you been on the Ragbri website lately? Uh, yes, and um, well, there's lots of information on the Ragbri website. Are you referring to all the different posts about the Just Go Bike podcast? Well, yes, that and there's a brand new letter from Rag by Ride director Matt Fippen that just got oh. posted very recently. Yes, I did see that letter. It's pretty cool. Like, you guys are already cruising across the state of Iowa. You know, like, the route's been announced, and it's it's on. That's right. It's on. And Matt and Ann Lowry have been traveling all across Iowa to visit each and every one of the overnight towns. And the rest of our team members will soon join them as they go across and it's been really cool um and now i've been involved with ragbri for many years but there are still things about the process that i don't always know which i thought his letter or his blog post was really interesting because it kind of spells out exactly how um they came up with the route and everything especially where he started building the route using a paper map which these days you really wouldn't expect right um but then they he eventually moved it online to ride with gps and then he had a meeting with the Iowa DOT, which really firmed things up. And I didn't know the part about the DOT, but using a paper map, I thought was really interesting because that's how I would do it. And I would feel like an old fart doing it that way. But I think it may <laughs> actually be the easiest way to do it because you can kind of see the whole state in yeah. one piece of paper. Yeah. And, um, you know, so many factors went into it because it's Ragbri 50. So there's that feeling of, you know, you want to try and uh, duplicate the very first Ragbri route, but yeah. of course it's not always logistically uh, possible, especially since the first Ragbri was only six days. Yes, exactly. Well, and things change and towns have their own plans. I mean, yeah. as much as we think the world revolves around Ragbri, it doesn't <laughs> always. So, yeah. you know, they have things going on or they just aren't able to host some years. So it just is a wide variety of reasons why towns were selected. But anyway, um, yeah, it was really cool to see how he put it all together. And you'll have to read the blog to find out more. But then mm-hmm. um, it also kind of outlines how we're going to be supporting the different communities financially, where yeah. we're going to give the overnight and meeting towns $15,000 and $10,000 respectively. And then this year, the pastor communities will each receive 5000 bucks. That is amazing. And that's like, it's good to, you know, if you think about it, all of these uh, communities, you know, are typically volunteer based. So I'm sure when they're sitting down in their meetings, they're like, okay, we want to have a beer tent and we want to have a, you know, a stage for this and that. All of that, you know, they either have to find resources in their community or they have to like rent it or buy it. So this is cool. Yeah. And it's small town Iowa. So, you know, it just varies pretty widely as far as how much money they have to just blow on an event. I mean, they'll make it back. Right. But to just, you know, have cash in hand, not all of them have that, especially after the pandemic. So, it really helps to have the startup money, and we're glad to be able to provide at least a little, chip in a little bit. So, yeah. And one other um, thing I saw in that letter from Matt 
um, the you know he was talking about his first week on the road, and mm-hmm. he was saying that it serves three roles, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, obviously mm-hmm. ride the bicycle route, which we yep. all we all assume that he's riding the route, looking at the roads, looking at road quality, and maybe traffic yep. patterns. That's that seems like a no brainer. But then he also says starting the planning process with each overnight community. So it's, you know, you probably can think about this, AP, but I'm always like, you know, piece of cake. We're going into Ames or we're going into Des Moines. But there's Mm -hmm. so much, like, logistically, you've got to figure out which road we go into, which road we leave, where Mm -hmm. we go to camp, like all of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Especially in those larger communities, there's a multitude of options on how to come into town and how to leave as well. Yeah. most of them would not be appropriate for Ragbri. Other than the smaller towns, there's only one way in and one way out, and it's more obvious. Sure, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I knew this, but I don't know if everyone knows this, that they actually drive the bicycle route when they do their town meetings every single week. Um, they don't, even especially like this year, it'd be way faster to go on 80, and they wouldn't have to take so much time between the towns. Right. The meetings, they'd save each other a bunch of time, but no, they actually drive on the bicycle route yeah. time after time after time. Yeah. And it really helps. Yeah. So anyway, so his three roles when he's doing that, drive the bicycle route, start the planning process for the overnight communities. And then the third one, I think we spoke about this on our last podcast, that mm-hmm. um, they're connecting the dots of all the in-between communities, which, yep. you know, I think that was a common question on social media. Like, well, how come we don't know every single town that we're going through? <laughs> yeah, And it's because yeah. now that the route is public, he can go out and say, you know, hey, town A, it would be really cool if we could pedal through. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, if you don't think it's going to happen, we'll go around. But, you know, people might show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a really cool letter. I encourage you all to check it out. We didn't. We only barely scratched the surface in talking about it right now. Um, so you just go to ragbri.com and you can see it. It's Depending on when you listen to this episode, it'll probably be the most recent blog post. Yeah. Or second most recent after we post the episode. (laughs) This podcast episode, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about today's interview. It is with Mr. Jim Gregory. And I don't, well, you know who Jim Gregory is because we've talked about him, but this is a really cool interview. So not only is Jim Gregory an Iowan, he lives in Ames, so um, he's going to be pretty excited, I'm sure, that Ragbri is coming right through his community. But he uses pedal power to power his home office. Wow. Yeah. So literally, he rides his bike and generates electricity and has a method of storing it. So that he keeps his computer running, his lights in his office, all of that stuff. Pretty, pretty cool interview. And then on the side, him and his wife um, build cargo bike trailers. Oh. I know. So everybody could like, you know, look him up um, and you'll hear all about this in the interview and maybe, I don't know, buy a bike trailer from him. It's pretty cool. But anyway, this interview specifically is about how he got started generating his electricity what it's like in his home office, advantages and disadvantages. Like one of the questions I asked was, so what happens if you go out of town for the weekend? Like does everything <laughs> go dead? And it's an interesting, you know, thought process. So, all right, AP. So do you think you could power your electricity by pedaling? Ooh, okay. And spoiler uh, alert, listeners, I did ask AP to research this ahead of time. So No, I'm a math genius. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear your math on this. Okay, so doing the math, one hour on the bike 
apparently generates around 0.11 kilowatt hours. Okay. So 0.11 kilowatt hours, which is more or less depending on how fast you cycle. So for me, it would definitely be less, but um, probably not much more than that at any rate. And the average North American house uses 30 kilowatt hours per day. Okay. So an hour on the bike provides approximately 0.37% of the energy needed for 24 hours, which, if my math is correct, would be about enough for five minutes. Oh, so. (laughs) (laughs) So no. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. So So, I think we can be clear that it would be very difficult for one person to keep a whole house running just by pedaling. Yeah. But this is cool because Jim's going to tell us how he keeps his office running. And by the way, this entire interview, um, you may maybe notice now that you guys know, but he was pedaling his bike the entire interview. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, you'd have to be to generate enough kilowatt hours. Exactly. Yeah. So super interesting interview. Let's take a listen. I'm all charged up. Let's go. All right. I'd like to welcome Jim to the podcast. Hey, Jim. Hi, Kathy. Glad to have you on. And this is going to be a fun episode. As Andrea and I talked about in the intro, you're on to talk about pedal-powered electricity. This is a really cool subject. I'm glad that you're here. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm sure that you're going to go into depth on what pedal-powered electricity is. I think my like the closest experience I have is I was at some sort of bike event and in the corner mm-hmm. of the room there were three bikes hooked up to I don't know what some sort of battery thing and mm-hmm. people were taking turns riding these three bikes and that what was keeping the band's speakers going so yeah. it was kind mm-hmm. of a fun segment where you know you're bantering you're talking to everybody and then somebody'll say it's your turn to go keep the band you know the music running so it was kind of fun right. um but it was mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. a primitive setup i mean i there's no way that you could bring that into your living room so i'm excited to yeah. hear how you did it okay But first, will you tell the listeners where you live and maybe describe what the biking culture is like there? Sure, you bet. Uh, I live in Ames, Iowa. And for your listeners who aren't familiar with Iowa, uh, Ames is located in the center of the state, Mm -hmm. about uh, 30 miles north of Des Moines. It's uh, it's a college town of about 70,000 people, and about half of whom are students at Iowa State. Oh, wow. Wow. so we have a very strong cycling culture here. We have an extensive network of off-street paths, uh, on-street bike lanes, and uh, shared-use bike routes throughout the city. Uh, we're connected to the Heart of Iowa Trail, the High Trestle Trail, and the Greater Des Moines Recreational Trail System via uh, a pair of on-street bike lanes on the county highway that runs south of town. You know, I've um, never thought... Ames is also... I've never thought... But, to uh, take a spur off of the High Trestle Trail to go to Ames. What a great idea. Yeah, well, the, the bike lanes edition that they were added, I'd say maybe, oh, maybe five, six years ago. Oh, okay. They made traveling to the trails much easier. That It worked out really well. Right, yeah. Yeah, so so Ames is also home. We have two bike shops here. We have a, a company called the Cycle Force Group, which is a bicycle importer and a wholesale parts distributor. 
And we're also home to a, a pretty well-known independent frame builder by the name of Jeff Bach. He's here also. Oh, okay. And we probably should, you know, let the listeners know that it also is the home of the Iowa State Cyclones, which is a, a huge rivalry to the Iowa Hawkeyes. Of course, of course. And I believe, I cannot remember the year, but we did come through Ames on Ragbri several years ago. And all I can remember, I mean, yeah. there's, there's lots I can remember about Ames. And one of the really neat things was this beautiful rose garden. Yeah, we have the, it's the Ryman Gardens. On, uh, it's on the uh, south side of Iowa State campus. It's, it's uh, very pretty down there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think we've maybe talked a few people into heading to Ames for a bike ride, which uh, <laughs> I know that I enjoyed it. And actually, I got to ride my bike into the, I don't know what the Cyclone Stadium is called, but we got to ride our bikes inside that stadium. Yeah. Jack Tri Stadium? Yes, yes, Jack Tri Stadium. Yeah, I'm right, sorry, right. Cyclone fans, that I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, you know, kind of switch gears over into specifically the bicycle. And I kind of mm-hmm. know the answer to this already based on what I've read about you. But do you think of the bicycle as recreation, exercise, transportation, or maybe something more? I view it as all those things, uh, plus as a way to earn a little bit extra money mm-hmm. and also generate power for our household. Uh, my wife and I, we take recreational rides every now and then. Um, I use my bike for to run errands all around town. And uh, I get paid at, every evening to carry mail from an office on campus to the post office using my bike and trailer every night. Oh, wow. I, I also uh, pedal, of course, to generate electricity for our household. And... Uh, all those activities provide me with all the energy exercise I need. So I figure I use it for all those purposes. Yeah. And a lot of people that do RAGBRAI are similar. Well, they probably don't get paid to ride their bike like you do. But, you know, a lot of people maybe only train for RAGBRAI, ride RAGBRAI, and then put the bike away. Uh, other mm-hmm. people, you know, like myself, I use it for exercise and transportation. Um, and the something more is, I think, you know, the main reason that you're on the podcast. I just am so intrigued by pedal power. So you said you pedal in your home to generate electricity. So let's hear about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Um, uh, first, I'd like to look at how feasible the idea is to begin with. Um, suppose you wanted to be able to power your laptop and recharge your cell phone while you work. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the basic unit of electrical energy is what they call the watt hour. That's the amount of electricity a one watt load would consume over a period of one hour. So if you have, say, a, a laptop, and that draws eight watts of electricity, and if you wanted to use that laptop eight hours a day, that'd be uh, eight watts times eight hours are 64 watt hours of energy. Okay. And if you wanted to recharge also your cell phone, that might take another 16 watt hours. So to... The total amount of electricity you would need to generate each day to uh, power your laptop and recharge your phone would be 64 watt hours plus 16 watt hours are about 80 watt hours. Okay. That's, Does that sound okay so far? It's, yes. And um, I, I know you're going to okay. tell me how to you know, get the exercise into it to burn that many watts, but it sounds like a lot right, right now. Well, the average person pedaling a, a generator while also working on your computer at the same time can generate between, I'd say, about 20 to 70 watts of electrical power 
And that depends on your age and your fitness level and how practiced you are at multitasking like that. Oh, okay. Now, I'm, 50, I'm 58, and I'm pretty physically fit. And I can generate around 55 watts while I work. But I've been doing this now for over a decade doing this now. Right. Um, I've, I've demonstrated my desk at a few local, at a, at a few local ecofair events. And the people who've tried it, seemed, everybody seemed to, to, to try it, seems to be able to comfortably generate, I'd say, at least 40 watts. So if the total amount of electricity you're trying to generate to power your laptop and your phone is 80 watt hours, and you can generate electricity at a rate of, say, 40 watts, then the total amount of time you would need to pedal each day would be 80 watt hours divided by 40 watts or a couple hours. Oh, okay. So, uh, so that works out to about 15 minutes for every hour of an eight-hour workday, which I think is reasonable if you wanted to do something like that. It's, 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 it's certainly manageable just to do just a laptop and a phone. Yeah. And will you describe like what your, like um, how strenuous th- those, let's just say the 50, let's say you do 15 minutes per hour. How strenuous is mm-hmm. that? Like, are you breaking a sweat or are you just kind of casually moving your feet around? Well, right now I am generating about, about 50 watts as I pedal right now. Oh, you're pedaling right a, now? I have a small cooling fan on. Yes, exactly. Right, right. So it, it's, it, it's not a hard workout. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it, I've often heard people say you can tell the level of, of, of uh, activity is, is if you can hold a conversation or not. If you can hold a conversation, but you can't sing, that's a moderate workout. Mm-hmm. Right now, at, at the way I'm doing right now, I can talk to you just fine, but I couldn't sing. I, I'd, be, I'd be kind of out of breath, breath trying to do that. Right. Well, and I wouldn't ask you to sing anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't, want to, you wouldn't want to hear me sing, let's put it that way. <laughs> so, okay, will you tell us, and maybe you don't have a typical day, but describe a typical day. Do you literally do 15 minutes and then the rest of the 45 minutes you're not pedaling, or do you kind of mix it up throughout your day? I mix it up throughout the day. I, I generally, I'm an early riser. I tend to get up early, and I pedal for about maybe an hour and a half in the morning. And then about an hour in the afternoon and about another hour and a half in the evening. Hmm. Um, because not only do I power my computer and, and whatnot, but I also power, I've got a little web server that I power and also our router and everything. And while the little web server and the router, they only take about five watts of electricity. But since they're on 24 hours a day, that's, that's a big load. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, more than half the, the energy I, uh, I generate each day. So that's why I have to pedal so much per day to do that. Well, and you choose to, which is pretty darn exactly. cool. Exactly, that's right. That, I, I right. That is amazing. So, okay, I'm also amazed that I can't hear. You know, I can't hear you pedaling at all. It's very quiet in the background. So, is this equipment that you purchased for home use, or did you actually develop it and you made it? I built this. Um, my generator consists of basically six parts. There's a there's a frame, there's a generator, there's a battery, and there's some power sockets, and there's a whole control system. Uh, the basic frame uh, I had to build because if you think of a regular upright bike, if you were to sit upright on a bike without having your hand on the handlebars and pedal for a long period of time, your seat would get sore mm-hmm. because you're sitting upright, but you, can't, you don't have your hands to help support you. Mm-hmm. So all that weight is just on a narrow part of your seat. So an upright seating position doesn't really work. 
But on the other hand, fully recumbent position, you know, where you're sitting back like on a, like a recumbent bike, that won't work either because as you pedal, your knees would strike the underside of the desk. Oh, sure. And so you need something kind of halfway in between, a kind of similar recumbent position. So, um, so that's how I built my frame like that. I, I built that using aluminum parts that we use in the, uh, some of the bicycle trails we manufacture. For the generator, I've tried several different types. And what I found works best is actually is a gearless e-bike hub motor. You know, the kind of e-bike where they have the hub, the motor built into the rear hub. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That works really well because they're gearless, so they're very quiet, which is important to me because I often work, like I said, in, 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 the, in the mornings before my wife gets up. I don't want to wake her up while I'm working. Mm-hmm. And uh, keep the noise down even more. I replaced the chain with that normally drives a, a hub like that with a tooth belt. So that's even, even quieter that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other part that, that you really need for a pedal power generator is a battery. The reason being because as you pedal with each stroke, your power output goes up and down. And at the same time, your computer and your monitor and the battery charger, all those things also draw power at a different rate too. Mm-hmm. You need some kind of buffer to help a, uh, help to help uh, match those that difference rates of power production and consumption as you're pedaling it also allows you then to also store energy to power your equipment when you're not pedaling ah. for instance like i said i i have a our router and a web server you know i don't pedal all day so i i rely on the energy that i store while i'm pedaling mm-hmm. to power that equipment throughout the day i designed then also a circuit board that fits inside what i call the control box and that circuit board monitors the power output and my consumption while I work. It has sensors on it that measure the voltage and current of the generator and the battery and each device that's connected to it. And if the battery voltage gets too high, it will disconnect the generator to prevent overcharging it. Ah, so then you're pedaling for, uh, without storing energy at that point. Exactly, right. And at that point, it just disconnects everything and everything's just running off the battery at that point. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So now, so now in the power box on the sides of that, I have my power sockets. I have four 12-volt DC power sockets. Like those are the kind of power sockets you see like in a, in a car dashboard. I have four of those. And then I also have eight USB sockets too. Oh, wow. Now most things, most, most small electronics can run off of DC power. And that's the most efficient thing to do, and that's what I do. But I have some things like my printer it requires AC power, so I need to have some kind of inverter mm-hmm. that I plug into the side of my, into one of these power jacks that I, that I use then to power my printer. And the last thing of a part of my machine is what I, is a little web server. It's connected to the circuit board in my control box, and it receives all the data that the sensors put out. And it displays the output in a web page so that while I'm pedaling, I can pull up a tab in a web browser and see you know, how much power I'm producing and where all that power is going to with each of my devices. Oh, wow. So you can That's see kind of if, if one of the things that you are charging is maybe pulling a lot more energy than exactly. necessary, or you know, especially if you have specific things planned for the day. That's right, exactly. And if something that is using too much power from the, from, the, from the dashboard, I can just turn it on or off. I got a little toggle switch there on the dashboard. I can toggle it on or off. Or like also, I have a cooling fan running right now. I can change my cooling fan speed to this based on how, how hot or cold I'm feeling at the time. Oh, interesting. 
And you said that you can store the energy and I don't, Mm -hmm. can you maybe define for how long? Like what if you and your wife go out of town for the weekend? Like will everything just go to a stop? (laughs) My battery can store 120 watt hours, which if you recall, that's about as much power as my, my, uh, my my web server and my and my router will consume. Oh yeah. So, yeah, so if we're out out of town for more than an hour, for more than a day, everything goes 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 down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I wasn't powering the router and the web server, I could maybe maybe take a day off or two. But but with things as they are right now, I pretty much have to pedal every day to keep everything going. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool thought process to. You know, if I'm on my bike trainer every day anyway, to be able to mm-hmm. not only get the fitness aspect of it, and, you know, a lot of people will say the mental health side of it, but to, then to also be like, guess what? Now my phone will be charged for another, you know, 12 hours or whatever. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you get started, you know, way back when in generating your own electricity? Well, it's kind of a long story. Um I graduated from uh, Iowa State here from grad school. I think it was in 1992. And at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And on, at the time, I went to, a, I went to uh, downtown St. Louis, and I saw my first bike courier. And I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to ride a bike outside and, and, uh, do, and, and deliver things like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Ames was really too small to need a bike courier. So uh, I had to come up with something else that I could do that people in our town needed. So uh, I decided to start a bicycle-powered grocery delivery service. I uh, originally used, uh, originally carried the groceries using a small baby trailer, mm-hmm. but uh, that trailer was too small to carry very much and really wasn't well suited for carrying groceries. So um, I built a much larger bike trailer that was, that was better suited for the task. The uh, grocery delivery service, the grocery delivery service didn't earn enough money to make ends meet, so I, uh, I supplemented by delivering pizza for a pizza restaurant here in town during the evening hours. Mm-hmm. Um, every night at the start of my shift, I'd uh, pull the oven rack out of my oven, strap it on the back of my bike, and then carry the pizzas in a hot bag strapped to the oven rack. And then when I was done with my shift, I'd go back in and put the oven rack back in my oven. So it was <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> Multi-use. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So uh, around that time, a friend of mine asked me if I could carry her recycling down to our local recycling center on the east side of town using my trailer. I thought uh, other people who recycled their waste might want to be might want to have it carried in an environmentally friendly manner like that. So uh, I began offering a bicycle power recycling service. And at the time, that was the only curbside recycling service in our town that was available. Um, that service proved to be very popular, so much so that we had to build more trailers and start hiring people, mostly students, to help us collect and sort what we were collecting. Mm. Um, I think at the time we had about nine bike trailers and about 22 people working with us. So wow. It was quite a, quite a project. We were also awarded the contract to collect recyclables in the residence halls at Iowa State at the time, too. Mm. And in addition to the recycling service, we also distributed a couple of free uh, Ad supported newspapers for some local publishers and uh, delivered airline tickets for a travel agency here also. And all of this so, via um, bicycle? Was, uh, all about all via bike, that's right. Oh, wow. So, um, so by that time, 
you know, people saw our trailers and asked if we could start building trailers for them too. So my wife and I, we, we started a sideline business just manufacturing cargo bicycle trailers. Um, but over time, the demand for our trailers grew, but our delivery business shrank. Mm-hmm. Um, after a while, garbage haulers in the area began offering recycling as a part of their garbage collection service, which made our, our recycling service really pretty superfluous. Sure. And, and airline tickets, of course, went to self-service and paperless. And, uh, you know, free ad-supported, free, uh, ad-supported newspapers also went to decline, along with, with the rest of the newspaper industry. So uh, around 2010, my wife and I decided to mostly shut down our delivery business and uh, just focus on making bike trailers. Ah, and will you define bike trailer? Is that like a, a flatbed or tell, tell us what it, they look like? Sure. We make uh, the trailers we used in our delivery business were eight feet long. We could, they, each, each trailer could carry six bins, six recycling bins across, and they could stack six more on top of that. So each trailer could carry at the time about uh, about 12 bins. Wow. And we still make the, the trailers about the same size. They have the beds about two feet wide and about eight feet long. And we make three different models. Some are shorter. Um, we make them in 32 inches long. 64 inches long and then 96, 96 inches long. And, um, and that's our primary business. I was just taking bike trailers like that. And when you have something that long, uh, what materials are you using? Like, do they weigh a lot? I mean, do you have to be a super athlete to be able to drag them behind your bike? No, not too bad. They weigh generally our largest trailer weighs around 50 pounds. Oh, okay. Um, wow. No, that's not too bad. And you know, you, we have people who use them to carry lumber and, you know, uh, plywood and mattresses, furniture, you know, any kind of stuff like that. So, And like you said, you know, this is your business now. You and your wife are doing your building right. trailers. Do you do it just for private contracts or do you, like if somebody just says, hey, I'd like a trailer at home? Mm-hmm. We do it. We do it for anybody. We sell them over the Internet what we do. So we have a website. People order the trailer online from our website and then we, we uh we make it and then uh, box it up and ship it to them. Oh, wow. What's the website? Uh, bikesatwork.com. That's B-I-K-E-S-A-T-W-O-R-K.com. Oh, I love it. We're going to all have to check that out after uh, this interview is over. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> you bet. Um, so these bike trailers are literally, you know, people put them behind their bikes and they can uh, transport pretty much anything, which is so cool. And it's interesting to think back that there was a time when there wasn't recycling at your door. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you lived it and you saw that there was a need Mm -hmm. for it. And then obviously, the city of Ames also saw a need for it and went, wait a minute, this guy's onto something. He's picking up recycling. Maybe we (laughs) should as well. Well, actually, here in Ames, the garbage contract, garbage services provided by private contractors like waste management, people like that. And so, uh, and so it was those services that started offering curbside recycling after we had done it for a few years. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, why, uh, that's why our service became uncompetitive because they were providing garbage service and recycling combined at the cost you know, of what we, could, what we could provide just for recycling for. So right. if anybody had garbage service, um, we just couldn't compete. Right. Well, when you look at your lifestyle, um, you know, versus kind of the average person in your area. What do you think that 
advice you could give people to maybe be a little bit more environmentally friendly using bikes? Um, I would say, if anything, just use them more. <laughs> it just, it never fails to, to amaze me just how much people use their car here as their primary means of transportation, even in a smaller uh, bicycle-friendly community like Ames. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ames is only maybe five miles across or so, so it's, it's not that big a place. Um, and I think to do that, you really need two things. I think, number one, you need to have good all-weather clothing so you can ride year-round. I mean, I, I ride comfortably in temperatures well below zero, using gear that I bought a decade ago. So it's a really good investment if, if you just, uh, as long as you, you choose wisely in terms of having good mittens and tights mm -hmm. and long underwear and, you know, wind gear, that kind of thing. So that's the first thing I'd recommend. And the second thing I recommend is to outfit your bike with, with whatever you need to carry your cargo, be that racks, panniers, or baskets, or you consider getting a cargo bike, uh, get, get a, either a cargo bike or a cargo trailer. Because, uh, like I said, a bike can carry a surprising amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. Back when we had our delivery service, I mean, we had people who would hire us to deliver things like mattresses or furniture that wouldn't fit in their car, but we could easily carry one of our trailers. Wow. So, you know, we, like, there was one time, I recall uh, there twice, when, when, when somebody would call us, have us go down to Sam's Club, we'd meet them there, they'd pick out a mattress, they'd, they'd, they'd drive down there, we'd ride our bike down there, um, they'd pick out a mattress, we'd put it on my trailer, then they'd drive home, and I'd ride my bike to the hell, you know, so wow. it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. Wow. So you, you do, you know, your messenger service, or I'm not sure what you called it, what you do now, year-round. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Well, is there anything more about the power pedal that you want to share with listeners? Sure. If you would like to learn more about this uh, pedal generator project, I have a separate website for that. It's at pedalpc.com. And, uh, and I'm working on actually a new version of my desk that actually is made to work with a standing desk. And if people want to get updates on that or any other part of the aspect of the project, I have a newsletter that they can subscribe to. I send out updates about maybe once or twice. I'm sorry, about once, about every once or two months. So you know, you're not going to get a bunch of email from me. But if you want to get an occasional update, they feel free to subscribe to that and uh, find out about it. And uh, if you're interested in bike trailers, you know, like I said, our our business website is at bikesatwork.com. And I will also add those to our show notes. All right, okay. Jim, I am so thankful to have you on the podcast. And, you know, it'd be fun to get a photograph of you on your bike pedaling away. And we'll make sure we put that uh, on our podcast. Okay, that'd be great. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kathy. Well, listeners, that is it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com, or you can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have any extra time, pop on over to the Morphology podcast for more bike adventure interviews. All right, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just, just go bike! bike.